This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Why will he not shake? I'm sorry, you understand? Guys, don't be angry. Alright? Why will he not shake? Because you went there to be rich. You are making decisions that are about money. Of course, what mammon would demand of you will be opposite of what God demands. So, that means, that's why I was telling you last week Sunday, that what you should be chasing is not greener pastures. What you should be chasing is the purpose of God for your life. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? There are a lot of people that are just moving abroad because they want to be doing like sheep and goats, but you are not a goat. You are not sheep. So what that means is that there are some people, per adventure, that the purpose of God for them requires them moving to Canada. It is possible. But I know as I've said it now, some of you with, uh, not you, some people with evil heart of unbelief will say, it's the purpose of God for me. No problem. It's between you and God. You understand? You cannot deceive me. If you come and meet me and say, you're going, what will I tell you? God's speed, isn't it? Uh-huh. God knows everybody and God knows your address. So the truth of God's word is that yes, there may be some people that the purpose of God for their lives involves them living. But you also see what we read last week from Acts chapter 17. He's the one that determines the boundaries of their time. So that peradventure they might reach out for him. God actually orders us us into nations so that from that nation we can do the purpose of God for our lives. You know there's a way that you can be angry with Nigeria and be complaining about Nigeria that it shows that you have a small God theology. Do you know that? There's a way you can be angry about Nigeria and complain about Nigeria that it suggests to us that it looks like as if you think that either God is not in control or God does not know what he's doing. Think about it. God made you to be born in this country. Why? Is he not the one that orders all things? Why? If you ask yourself why and you actually think about it, I'm not just saying this now because I'm a pastor, right? So, actually think about it. If God put me in this country, Why? Praise God. I get what I'm saying to you. So this, and that is the problem. You know, that is the issue. The prosperity gospel has made it to be that people's target is to be rich, not to do the will of God for their lives. Jesus died so that you can be rich. Everything, you need to be rich because that's the way you can do the kingdom of God. No. That's why being a kingdom financier is only a backdoor for you to find yourself here where Paul was talking about because you are desiring to be rich through the backdoor. Your job is not to desire to be rich. Your job is to desire to do the purpose of God for your life. And that's the harm of prosperity gospel. It makes the goal of people's lives, it it elevates riches in people's hearts to be the purpose and essence of what they are chasing. They make make people feel like as if being rich is the proof of the grace of God in your life. People give testimonies according to the amount of contracts that they get. And people listening think that those are the people that have seen the grace of God. So those that have not had big contracts, they've not seen the grace of God. But the purpose of God for everybody is different. <laughs> Just like what I'm saying to you. The same God that was at work in Solomon is the same God that was at work in Jeremiah when he was in the pits. In fact, even in one person's life, the same God that is at work in your life when you are abusing, when you are content, that's when you don't have money. It's the same God that is alive when you are abounding, when you have money. Sure, you know. Even in one person's life, not to talk of different people's lives. Because it's about the purpose of God for our lives. So God will call you to help. God will give you platforms. He will send you to locations and places where you can steward creation. That means where you can help creation to thrive and demonstrate his glory, you know, on the lower level. And then the higher um, purpose is to bring men to the knowledge of Christ. God will give you, put you in different places. That's why he's putting you in Nigeria to, to reach some people. That's why he's ordering your steps. You're in Lagos for such a time as this. He puts you in different places so that you can do the purpose of God for your life. While you are there, you, where you are now, you have purpose already. Do it right where you are. Purpose is not something you will do one day when you are rich and famous. Purpose is where you are now. It's not the day that, you know, we move the keyboard to a big venue that the keyboard starts fulfilling purpose, is it? As it is now, it's not fulfilling purpose. When it was for choir practice, it's not fulfilling purpose. When we were only five, six in the house, was it not fulfilling purpose? Do you understand what I'm telling you now? Eh? Where you are now, as a student, a worker, a doctor, a lawyer, without work, you have neighbors. Where you are now, you have purpose on your life, be doing it now. What is that? 
creation in your hands, steward it properly, people around you bring them to the knowledge of God. So God will not be giving you platforms. You'll be ordering your steps as time goes on so that you can do it and continue to do it. You understand what I'm saying to you? Church out together. You understand that? So that's why I can tell you confidently now. Some of you here will be rich by human comparison. You know, you know don't forget the definition of rich. That means those who are in the higher socioeconomic class, right? Some of you here will be rich, but it's not everybody that will be rich by that standard. Do you understand what I'm telling you? That is the point blank truth. And that's why the people that have been telling everybody that they will be rich one day. They've never seen their whole congregation becoming rich. Yeah, they're still, and people are still going there and people are still having useless hope and they're dying and they're still believing it. Like sheep. They are the ones that should be going to greener pastures. It's not possible. It has never happened. It cannot happen. Because God will not send all of us to... You know, like, think about it. Not all of us will go to the same place. So that's why I know that some of you here legitimately will be rich. But not everybody will be rich. But one thing is for sure, nobody will be destitute. You understand what I'm saying? There's nobody that their needs will not be met. Nobody, none of you will be destitute. Okay? Put your hand and do like this. Do like this. Do like this. None of you will be destitute. None of you, there's none of you that your needs will not be met. There's none of you that will not have more than enough to do the purpose of God for your life. So that is the reason why, if you notice what Paul says here, he says, having food and shelter and clothing. He actually said food and clothing, but you know it's, a, it's an abbreviation for what it really means. Having food, clothing, and shelter, all right? Because Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 that these are divided so that not everybody have, but he clothes them and he has them. You understand what I'm saying? So if you have food, clothing, and shelter, right? You are good. Your needs have been met. Is there anybody here that, did, that slept on the street? Is there anybody here? Is there anybody here that did not have food to eat last night? Is there anybody here that is without clothes, obviously? So the truth is that God has met your needs. God is faithful. That's another problem of prosperity gospel. It makes us feel like as if there's something God is not doing. When what he said in scriptures, he has done it. He has done it. Let me tell you the truth about human beings. What we need is food, clothing, and shelter. Anything after that is different levels of comfort. Do you understand that? So you can go to your location through with Okada. You can go to your, your location with an old Camry. You can go to your location with a Jeep. You can go to your location with a G-Wagon. You can go to the location that you want with a jet. All of them are what? Means of transportation. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what happens after God has provided our needs is different levels of comfort. Do you understand that? But the level of comfort that will accrue depends on the kind of work that you are doing. For example, now, God sends you to Sambisa Forest to do ministry. Or you don't know there are some people there that are doing ministry. Is it, will you go there and be confessing for Jeep? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Is that, is she here? Do you understand what I'm telling you? Uh-huh. It's not possible. It's not possible. It does not make sense. <laughs> Hallelujah. It does not make sense. So that's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 that we read, Apostle Paul says that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So that you having all that you need and in every way will abound for every good work. So what now happens is that according to the purpose of God for your life, when God has provided for the needs of all of us, where God now sends you, there will now be some added needs you need to do good work. Do you understand what I just said now? Depending on where God now sends you, depending on the purpose of God for your life, he will put you in different places where you will need different levels of resources to do good work. At every point in time, apart from your basic needs, what you now need to do the purpose of God for your life, wherever he sends you, whatever platform that he sends you to, right, God will provide it. That's why you will see some people will come and give a testimony and say God provided a big contract for me to do something. And that person, the testimony that they have is that God opened the door so I can get a job as a primary school teacher. None of them is better. It's not for the person that God has sent to mold the minds of children. Because I'm telling you now, in heaven, it's just that I don't want to speak for God. But it's doing me like as if I know God's mind. And I'm telling you that in heaven now, a person that is working in primary school and, and secondary school, preventing the minds of our children from being moved by all this gender-neutral God, is doing much more than one man that is flying jeep or jet up and down, doing nothing. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Before God, God is going to honor that work. 
You don't see the nonsense that is happening outside? Now they want to be calling God Jesus, Jesus. The person that God will send to the schools to prevent that evil from happening, that person might never be as rich as a tech bro, but God is pleased with him. You know what I'm saying to you? The mother of the Wesleys, right? she's a housewife, she's a housewife, and all of us must be career women. This woman stayed at home and lost 12 children. Two out of her children were Charles and John Wesley. See, she has done more than all, let me not talk to you, understand what I'm saying? In God's eyes, what that woman has done is more than all these um, power women. I'm not saying now that I cannot be a power girl, you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to put things in context. Someone that lost Charles and John Wesley taught them God's word and raised them up. See what they have done for the world and for the body of Christ. You now come and say, I want to be Fortune 500, I must be a CEO with all the men. Okay? You see, you now look at other women that are not seeing the future of the church. You say, they're not doing much. Our feminists were the ones doing much. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Now, that is not to say that the, those of you that God makes you to go to for Fortune 500, they are not doing God's will. I'm trying to put things in context for you. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So God will send you to places. And what you need to do the work of God in that place, God will supply it. So you don't need to look at another person. It's when we were young and we didn't know anything that we're having fantasies that, ah, I'm going to build a multinational. I'm going to get a guy. Now I just sit down and say, but what do I want? Multinational for what? Many people don't even know that those who are rich, they're the ones who are, you will see some scriptures now. You will see some things. Now, you will see why Jesus and why the early church, they were very wary of riches. You will see the reason why they were very wary of riches now. People don't know that what it takes for you to chase money and to be rich is something that will fight your soul. Go and ask billionaires. I have a couple of friends that, you know, went into enterprise and tried to raise money and everything. One of them now, he's even, he has become more spiritual than he has ever been. And he's, you know what his own issue with is that he has met rich men in Nigeria. He has met all the big men. And he keeps saying, there is none of them that is a good person. That's what he keeps telling you. You see, people are saying that God is sending people to make billionaire Christians. He said, I've met billionaires in these countries, even the ones that think they are Christians. Oh, God, I know what they do to make money. I know the kind of ungodly competition they do. I know the kind of bribery they do. You cannot just sit down and say, I want to behave like a Christian, and they will let you, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? There are levels of resources that re- determines you and mammon become paddy. These are the dangers of being so, even a Christian self that, you know, you're becoming rich and all that. It's not for you to start celebrating and start saying, ah, we are the ones that God loves. We are the ones that have the grace of God. We have a special grace. They will not be calling you for Christian program to come and share the grace of God that made you to be richer than other people. <laughs> Listen to me. Those of you that are even rich, that go to be rich, are the ones that should be worried. Do you understand what I'm saying? You should be worried. You should guard your hearts. Those of you that are going to be rich, that you are the ones that should guard your heart. You are the ones that should be wary. Not that you're not start doing like this. You are the ones that should be scared. You will see the reason now. Hallelujah. Church, I was together. I wanted to tie these services up with the neat and this thing, but it seems like I can't go. So if I can't finish today, I'll just continue tomorrow. Hallelujah. Praise God. So let's move on. Let's move on. Today, I want us to assess a couple of scriptures and if I can't finish today, we'll just continue next Sunday, all right? I want us to assess a couple of scriptures that people have thought. So now we can all agree, and we can all see from God's word, that God did not promise that everybody will be rich. What God promises that is that he will take care of everybody and meet their needs. Do you understand that? Uh-huh. Right? Jesus did not die so that anybody can be rich or so that anybody can be poor. Jesus died so that we can fulfill God's purpose for our lives. Do you understand that? The way we now find ourselves is what comes while we are doing God's plan. Do you understand? Church, do you understand that? Is that very clear? But you see, there are some scriptures that people often raise as evidence that God wants everybody to be rich. And if they are not rich, it's because there's something wrong with them. That's another problem of prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is actually a backdoor legalism. Do you understand that? It takes away the grace of God from people and puts the burden of performance on the man. You say God wants everybody to be rich. If you are not rich, it's because you don't have faith. Your faith is not strong. I see the faith that, that can make somebody's entire soul to be saved can be bigger than the faith that is required for God to do anything in your life. Is faith not faith? I'm doing that thing again, all right? Hallelujah. The faith that saved you and redeemed you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, can that faith 
be smaller than this faith to, for God to provide for your needs? You know, say no. Somebody that has believed that Jesus died for him actually believes. He say no. His faith is not strong enough. That's why he's not rich. You and the Pharisees, what's the difference? Say the reason why God is not pleased with you because you've not fulfilled the twenty, the four hundred and sixty-three commandments. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures that are popularly been thought as promises that guarantees that everybody should be rich, and we'll look at them and see. That's why I was saying that many of these people, some of them are not bad people. There are three of them. There are three categories. Some of them. The fear of poverty push them to say what they are saying. Some of them, they just did not go to seminary. Or when they were preparing for ministry, it was all vibes and inshallah. And they were just reading their Bible anyhow and started preaching. So because of that, they were not taught. They were not taught because handling God's word actually requires rigor. That's why Paul was telling people, he said, study to show yourself approved. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of God. There is rightly dividing and wrongly dividing the word of God. Do you understand that? It takes rigor competence to look at God's word and handle it well. It's all in all of Christianity, 1,900 years, everybody that was considered a leader in the body of Christ was someone that had to be rigorously taught in God's word. It's when our own started. Or you people's own. I don't know how to say it, alright? You understand what I'm saying? It was recently, let me just say it, alright? It was after a Association revival that you started seeing this thing. Now, there were good, let me not go into all that. There were good sides to it because there was a certain democratization of the spread of the ability to do ministry, whereby former slaves and illiterate people could enter ministry and do it. The problem with that was that it laid the foundation for incompetent ministers being head of large ministries and being head of and being responsible for the lives of so many people. Do you understand that? So there was a good side to it now, and I've already told people that, see, because of how much I honor God, it is not in my place to say whether that movement was wrong or right. Because the Lord that allowed it to happen knows what he did. Do you understand that? So it cannot be my place, but I can learn lessons. One lesson that we can learn from the Pentecostal movement was that it raised a generation of people and laid the foundation for the, a place where people could just wake up and just mentor someone and say, you to become the pastor and you'll be head and responsible for the souls of so many people. And you will look at God's word and not handle it properly and be responsible for the lives of so many people. So some of these people are not actually bad people. They just don't know better. You will see now that, ah, ah, some of you have been taught to be like, ah, ah, wait, wait, wait till happen. You will see now, just wait. Then there's a third category. Wherever incompetence thrives, evil will take advantage. Do you understand that? If people are making mistakes because they do not know better, the people that know better, that want to use it, they will take advantage of that space. So that's why the incompetence that brought about the prosperity gospel thing opened the door for people like Odumeji and Indabuski. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do you understand? So they will now look alike. Then you will now have a problem where you have some people that you know these are bad people, but they are preaching what you are preaching. So you cannot say they are not with us. Because if you say they are not with us, it means your own message is in trouble. So you must do an association where all of you are together. You will now be having cliques inside the association. You will now say some of us are good. We are the real sons of social social person. Those ones, they are not good. Okay, all of you have the same problem. Your message is wrong. This thing I've just said now is elderly talk. Some of you don't understand, but I understand what I'm saying. You now have serious conundrum in your association. Some people are sincere. Some people, you know the kind of lives they are living, but you cannot distance yourself because the foundation that all of you are standing on is faulty. Do you understand that? Let's look at some of these scriptures. Let's start from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. This is a popular one that all of you have heard. It is the, it is the Lord that gives you the power to make wealth. That shall not forget the Lord your God, for it is that gives you power to make wealth. Have you? We'll start reading from verse 1 before we get to that verse so that we can all understand it. That scripture is often used that God is the one that gives us power to make wealth. So everybody should be rich because everybody has the power to make wealth. Now let's read it from, from verse 1. Even without doing too much rigorous reading, just church level reading, we'll read it together. You will now see what that verse actually means. You'll see that there's no, no whining, alright? Let's read it together from verse 1. Follow. I'm reading from the NIV. Deuteronomy chapter 8 from verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised you on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what is in your heart whether or not you would keep his command. So he's talking to the Israelites and their journey through the wilderness. Isn't it? Verse 3. 
he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding, feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Hallelujah. You saw where Jesus quoted from. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. He's talking to these people. Their clothes did not wear out. Is there anybody here that your clothes has not worn out before? Is there anybody here? Okay. How many of you have been wearing the same clothes for 40 years? Nobody. So he's talking to some people. Abi, isn't it? If you know your clothes has not worn out for the past 40 years, raise up your hand. Okay. Verse 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciples his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience in him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. How many people are going to Jerusalem or to the land of Canaan? You are Nigerians, Abi. You are bloody Gentiles, Abi. Okay. A land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley and vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce. You will lack nothing. A land where rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. So it's a land that is full of natural resources. So I'm taking you from the desert into a land that has natural resources. Follow English. Verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So when God takes you to that land, make sure that you praise God for bringing you to that land that has plenty of natural resources. Verse 11, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees I'm giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, this is the danger of being rich. When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Do you see that? So it's warning them that be careful so that when you become rich, you don't forget God. Isn't it? Verse 15. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness and thirsty and waterless land with his venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might be well with you. God is telling them what he has done for them. He now says, verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Do you see what's happening here? God is telling them, I will take you to a land that has natural resources. When you get there and you're satisfied, don't forget and begin to tell yourself that it's because of me that I have this wealth. Verse 18 now says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which is what your ancestors that it is today. Who was he talking to? Israelites. How, what was the power to make wealth? The natural resources. Do you understand that? I'm taking to a land that has natural resources. When you enjoy it, don't forget. So the power to make wealth is the natural resources in the land of Canaan that he was giving them. And he was telling you, don't forget me when you get there. Don't get there and say, I am rich because God has helped me. Remember that you are, you are now comfortable because God brought you into this land. Church, do you understand what's happening here? So, is this a promise that every Christian will be rich? Moses was simply describing what will happen to them. Which actually ended up happening. Moses was simply describing what will happen to them. Number one, he was talking specifically to those people. The first thing, he was speaking specifically to the children of Israel because he was talking to people that would be going to a land of Canaan because the power to make wealth that he was talking about was what? A land flowing with wheat and barley where iron is in the ground and copper is in the hills. So the power to make wealth is what they will find in the land of Canaan. How many of you are in the land of Canaan? How many of you are in the land of Canaan? Okay, all right. And he was talking to a particular set of people. Now, this is the very interesting thing. Paul actually throws a spanner. That's why I said the problem with this thing is not bad mind. It's lack of competence in teaching God's word. The funny thing is that the power to make wealth is actually natural resources. And guess what? It's not even only the Israelites that God give. It's in the Bible. You understand? Let me show you. Acts chapter 14. 
That's before 14. Um, Paul and Barnabas were talking to the, to the people of this land about their idolatry and all that. So he started talking about everything and all that and all that. But because of time, let me just go to verse 17. He says, verse 16 says, In the past, he let all nations go their way. Yet he has not let himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Even with these words, he had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So God is speaking to pagans, idolaters, that God also is the one that gives you all the rain and crops and everything that used to make wealth. That's the reason why throughout Israel's history, they were never the richest country. Do you understand that? They were never richer than Egypt. They were never richer than the Assyrians. They were never richer than the Persians. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm talking to you? Like, hey. Because the power to make wealth is the natural resource that God put in the earth for the Israelites to enjoy in Canaan. But guess what? It was not only in Canaan that God put that power to make wealth or that natural resource. He put it for all the countries in the world. So that is the reason why Elon Musk as an atheist can be the richest man in the world. Church, you understand what's happening here? That's what Apostle Paul meant in 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's actually what he meant in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Those who are rich in this world provides us richly for our enjoyment. That's what Paul was talking about. It's God that put natural resources in the world for all of humanity to enjoy. Do you understand what I'm telling you now? He's the one that causes rain to fall on both the just and the what? Unjust. The ability to make wealth does not translate. The ability to make wealth that God was talking about to the Israelites does not translate to the promise of riches for every Christian. Neither does it make the ability to make wealth exclusive only to the Israelites. Do you understand the two things I'm saying from there? Do you understand the two things I'm saying? First of all, it is not a promise of riches to Christians. It was a description of the Israelite situation in Canaan. And second of all, it was not an exclusive statement to only Israelites. Rather, Apostle Paul tells us that God is the one that gives all of humanity. He's the one that fills the belly of all humankind so that they can reach for him and know that God is in heaven. Those are the first two lessons. The third layer of the lesson that from that scripture is that the fact that God has given all of us natural resources and the fundamental ability to make wealth does not mean that everybody should use it. Did you hear what I just said now? Mm. Let me say it again. The, ability, the fact that God has given every human being the natural resources and the intellect and the ability to make wealth does not mean that God intends for everybody to use it. Because Paul had the IQ to make wealth. He didn't chase it. If Jesus, that could multiply five loaves and two fishes, was on the earth, but didn't make himself the richest man in Judea, do you understand what is happening here? The fact that you have natural resources in the world does not mean that that's where you sit down. That's our problem of prosperity gospel. We say we all have power to make wealth and everybody now wants to raise money. No. The fact that you have power to make wealth does not mean that that's the purpose of God for your life. The power to make wealth does not translate into let us be chasing wealth. It is just a comment. The purpose of God for your life is your purpose. Let me show you something in Deuteronomy chapter 15. This is another scripture. The second scripture I'm going to show you. Deuteronomy chapter 15. In this scripture, it was talking about, verse 1, it talks about, at the end of several years, you should cancel the debt of your people. At verse 3, it talks about that you should not collect payment from anybody that is owing you. If it's an Israelite that, that you have borrowed money, don't collect it back after the seven years on the year of Jubilee and all that, you know, on every seventh year. But if the person is an outsider, you can collect the money back from the person. He now says, verse 4, however, there need, no be poor, there, there, need no, there need be no poor people among you for in the land God, the Lord is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. So Pomos is telling them that God is taking you to a land. In that land, when people owe you money, when Israelites owe you money, in the seventh year, don't collect it back. Leave it for them. 
In that land, don't, then nobody should be poor. Now, the word poor there is actually the word, um, is actually the, is a Hebrew word, which is a beyond, that comes from the word abia or something. Abba, abia, and what it means is actually destitute. Now, this is something that people should understand. Again, it's not many of their faults. It's, it's competence in studying God's word. When um, Moses was describing what it meant to be richly blessed in Deuteronomy chapter 8, what was he describing? The fact that you can build house. The fact that you have bread to eat. The fact that you will see iron in the rock and copper in the hill. In their context, what it meant to be rich is what you people call middle class today. Do you understand? That's another problem that people don't understand. What it meant to be rich 4,000 years ago, 3,500 to 4,000 years ago, in Israelite Canaan, in the Bronze Age, what it meant to be rich is not what it means to be rich now. In Moses' time, if you just have a steady source of income, you have a house, and you have bread coming to you regularly, and you have a big farm where people can be making bread from it, I don't say you're a rich man. Because you have goats and sheep, they'll say, get money, die. What kind of house is it? Some stone house, mud house, with stark roof, no AC. If they, cut, if they carry the house you are living in now and put it 4,000 years ago, and they'll be worshipping you. There's no like unto you. Telling you something. Funny enough, in this context, when he says there's none that should be poor in your land, poverty in this context was actually destitution. In old Israel, if you are poor, it means you don't have food to eat. It means you don't even have house to wear. It's actually, go and recheck the word. You see there, it actually means to be needy, to be destitute. In these days, when they say you are poor in ancient Israel, it means you don't have food to eat. If you have house, just house to live in Israel, you're a rich man. That's another funny thing. When he says, I give, it gives you power to make wealth, and the wealth he's talking about is that you can eat bread, and you can mine copper. You will not understand some things. I don't know. I don't want to get to, I don't want to geek out. They're talking about copper and iron. Now, steel is what we're using to build houses. Steel. We are mining cobalt and lithium. There's lithium in your phone. These guys could not have come. If you take phone, this kind of watch, to um, Aaron and Moses, they'll be like, what's in the apple for here? So, if we even want to go by that scripture and assume that that promise of wealth is that everybody will be rich, it means it's bread. It's bread you'll be eating. And you'll be living in a mud house. Anyway, let me go on. <laughs> so, chapter 15 says that None of you is meant to be destitute because of what God is doing, because of what um, I'm going to be doing, um, because of the land I'm going to be taking you to. None of you should be destitute. It doesn't make sense that any of you should be destitute. So if anyone borrows money from among you, after seven years, let the person go free, all right? He now says, for the Lord to bless you and all that. He now says, be open-handed. Now, he now says, look at verse 10 now says, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. No, 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 there's a scripture I'm looking for. Only you do for the Lord bless you as he promised and will let you. Uh -huh. I'm going to verse 6. This is the scripture. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised and you will lend to many nations and borrow from none. You will rule over many nations but none will rule over you. So, often it is said that the promise of God for Christians is that we, we lend to nations. That all the nations of the world should be borrowing money from the church. We're supposed to have more money than countries. Because the church should be a nation in itself that should borrow money. I'm sure if you are reading and paying attention, it's already beginning to sound funny, Abby. And people have said it and know and all that. And if you read it in context, first of all, you can already see that God is already telling the Israelites that, see, the resources I'm giving you in that land, it should be enough for you to manage and organize so that nobody among you will be rich. Nobody, no more, nobody among you will be destitute. Because there will always be poor people in your land. Now, first red flag. How can God say you will lend to nations and no nation will rule over you, but in your country, there will always be poor people. Read it to the end. After saying it in verse 6, he now goes to verse 11. There will always be poor people in the land, therefore I command you to be open-handed to your fellow Israelites who are poor and needing your land. So the nation, he said you will lend to nations, but in your country as a nation, there will always be poor people. Hmm. Praise God. Let me just explain everything. What it means is this. 
If God has met your needs and you are not a destitute, you already have what it takes to lend to nations. Do you understand that? The only man that does not have what it takes to give and to lend to nations, that statement is not a promise that the church must have more money than other countries. It's a, it's a for in Israelite context, it is God telling them that you are going to go to a land where you are going to have enough to meet your needs. If a Christian wants to learn any lesson from this, what the lesson here is telling you is that once God has met your needs and you are not a destitute, you have enough to give. You don't understand yet. I will explain now. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. What makes you able to learn to nations is not that you are richer than Elon Musk. What makes you able to learn to nations and to give to those who are needy is that you have food to eat, you have clothes to wear, you have shelter. Out of that, if God has provided out of that, you will have something to give to people. Let me explain what it means. You understand now. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know about the grace of God given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme what? And their extreme what? Welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, and entirely on their own. What makes you able to be generous and to give? It's not that you are richer than other countries. It's that you have enough for your needs. So a person can be poor and lend to nations. Do you know something here? That's why a country that has poor people in the country, God will still tell them they can lend to nations. What enables you to be generous is that you have enough to meet your needs. That's why Paul will say in Ephesians 4 verse 28, tell him that he's stealing to stop stealing and work with his hands so that he will be able to meet his needs and give to those who are in what? Need. Do you understand what's happening here? Anybody that is not destitute can be generous. You lend to nations because you are not destitute, not because you are richer than Danguti. You see, the will of God for us to lend to nations. You now say, that means that we, we let me not say some things directly. You know, say, say, the will of God is for us to lend to nations. Then we, we must have jets. If the world has jets, we must have more 20 jets so that we can lend to them. Or God, what are you talking about? If Paris Country Club has $1 trillion to borrow, we must have $3 trillion because we must be able to lend to nations. No! When God tells a person, you will lend to nations, you can be generous, you can give, he's saying, once I have met your needs, out of that thing you have, you can give. That is why the widow of Zarephath was about to die, yet she was lending to nations. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said now? She was about to die of poverty, yet from the flour that she had and the oil that she had, she could still give Elijah. This is why the Macedonian churches could be called extremely poor, and yet they were still generous to the church in Jerusalem that was poorer than them. Because even though the Macedonian church was poor, the church in Jerusalem was worse. <laughs> so that's why a poor church can lend to another nation, literally. They can give to another nation, literally. Why? What makes you able to lend to nations is not that you are richer than everybody in your country. It is that out of what you have, as long as you are not destitute, you can give out of it. Everybody here, you can lend to nations. All of you, all of you like this. Are you hear what I'm saying to you? Did you hear what I just said? Did you hear what I just said? That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians verse 16 will say, everybody according to how God has prospered him, let him set aside something to give. You are a hairstylist in this place. You are lending to nations. If you have food to eat, you can give out of that food. If you have a source of income, you can give out of it. So lending to nations is not by being the richest country. Because it doesn't even make sense. The nation of Israel was never the richest country. Never. Never. At every point in time, they were always at the mercy of countries around them. Even in the peak of their wealth in Solomon's time. Egypt and the pharaohs could still, that's why he had to marry Pharaoh's daughter, for peace. Egypt was never Israel's mate, never, not once in the entire history, never. Egypt for like, from like 5,000, from like 5,000 BC till like 400 AD. Egypt was the one feeding the entire Middle East from the River Nile. 
The day that the river now mistakenly did not overflow its banks and bring the soil that is used for cultivating wheat and all that, the entire Roman Empire had a recession. That's what happened under the time of Augustus. Was it Augustus? Who was the guy after Augustus? The time that, that there was famine all over the world, the one that Agabus um, prophesied. Do you remember that prophecy that Agabus made? That the whole world went into famine. That's what happened. Egypt, just because the Nile did not overflow its banks that year, they could not get enough wheat to feed the entire Roman Empire. Everybody famine. The church in, in Jerusalem nearly died. In fact, that was the context in which Macedonian church was sending food to them. So when God was telling the Israelites that you will lend to nations, he was not saying I'll make you richer than all the countries. They never became. It means even out of the one I've given you, it is enough for you if you are content. You will have something to give out of it. Church, do you understand what I'm saying to you? That's why you see, we will see everything. That's why throughout the New Testament, you continue to see over and over and over and over. Paul will keep telling people that we're poor, poor Christians, that you have enough to give to those in need. You have enough to give to those in need. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. The last one that I need to talk about today, and I'll continue next week, is 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Let's just scroll down on 2 Corinthians 8. Let's go to verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus became poor, so that you can become rich. Therefore, everybody is meant to be what? Rich. Again, it's not their fault. They just were not taught well. In the New Testament, let's read what it means to be rich. Let's read. Revelation chapter 2. People that are not reading Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. It says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Yet you are rich. Ah, waiting the happen. Hey, he says, telling Christians, I know you are your poverty. Yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who are the Jews who are not, but of the synagogue of Satan. First thing first, Jesus is speaking to John in prophecy and says, a Christian can be poor, but can be rich. What is that riches? Calm down. Revelation chapter three. Chapter three, verse seventeen. <laughs> this is the flip side to another church. You say, I am, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. So this is another one. The first church, they were poor, but they were rich. This one, they were rich, but they were poor. In Christ, riches and poverty is not human riches and poverty. <laughs> In Christ, you will be going with your $1 million in your account and God is seeing a wretched poor beggar. Another one is going about in the trenches without money. Yet, God is seeing him as rich. Let's calm down. You'll see something now. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Chapter 6, rather. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Ah, if I start reading from verse 3, there'll be no time. Let me just focus on verse 10. So this verse, in this whole chapter, Paul was talking about a paradox of experiences. He kept saying, we were unknown, yet we're making people known. He would say things like, we were, we were dishonored, and there's no, we, we know we were dishonored, yet we are doing glory and honor. Verse 10, he now says, sorrowful, yet rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. How is it possible that the apostles, just like we see what Jesus said about those churches, how is it possible that a Christian will have nothing, that he will be poor, yet will be making some people rich? What kind of riches is he giving to them? Is it monetary riches? Let's see what the riches is. Ephesians chapter 1. How is it possible to be rich and yet be poor? How is it possible to be poor and yet be rich? Ephesians chapter 1. Let's read from verse 18 first. <laughs> it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope for which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The believers have an inheritance which makes them rich. There is an inheritance that a believer has that is called riches. There's an inheritance that believers have that is called riches. If you have that thing, 
You are called rich, irrespective of your socioeconomic class. Go to verse 7 of the same chapter. Just scroll back up. He now says, now you're going to see what that inheritance is. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Hallelujah. The riches of the believer is the grace of God in your life. The man who has seen the grace of God is rich. The man who has God has everything that is more than everything that this world can offer. Do you see the reason why I was shouting about that hymn that they sang? Hi-ya-ya-ya. The man that has God. That's why a man can be rich and yet be poor. You can reach if you don't have God, you are poor. If you are poor, you have the grace of God, you are what? Rich. That's just one. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Verse 4. Says, or do, you, do you, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is to lead you to repentance? Whenever a man sees the kindness of God, if a man has enjoyed the kindness of God, if a man has enjoyed the goodness of God, that man has seen riches. Romans chapter 9. The Calvinist chapter. Romans chapter 9, verse 23. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his what? Mercy. Whom he prepared in advance for what? So the glory of God. The glory of God. The glory of God seen in salvation is riches. <laughs> Let, these are the scriptures. Um, Romans 11, verse 33. Romans 11, verse 33. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Look at this one. I want us to open this one. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. This one, I want us to open it. Colossians chapter 2. I like this one in particular. Colossians chapter 2. Look at from verse 2. From verse, verse 2 says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. That a man knows God that the man is full of the knowledge of God, that knowledge of God itself is riches. He now says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wis the wisdom and the knowledge of God itself is treasure. To round it up, Apostle Peter is the one that puts it best because you know when you walk close with Jesus, there's a way you'll be thinking. Look at the way he said it in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance which can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Our salvation is our riches. We have an inheritance in heaven that neither moth, nor rats, nor vermin can spoil. Are you getting what I'm saying to you? That is our riches. We have riches in heaven. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 that we've always read, verses 1 to 34. He says, don't build for yourself riches in this world where moth and rats and this thing can destroy. Rather, build riches for yourself. Invest your riches in heaven where nothing can touch it. Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be where? This is the problem with prosperity gospel. It makes your heart to be in earthly treasure. When your heart should be in your what? Heavenly treasures. So our inheritance is in heaven. That's why Apostle James finished it like this. James chapter 5. My guy. James is my guy. Look at where he finished it. Chapter 1 from verse 1. James chapter 5 from verse 1. Now listen you rich people. <laughs> now listen you rich people. Weep and wail. Because of the misery that is coming to you. Your wealth has rotted. Your moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eats your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in your last days. This is how a man can be rich and yet be poor. This is how a man can be poor and yet be what? Rich. The riches of the glory of our inheritance in the saints is in heaven. So when it says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, that he became poor, that we can become rich. Somebody was in heaven, came to the earth to deal with you evil-minded people so that you can now be seated with him in right hand above all places. You hear that and what you are hearing is that God became poor so that you can have money in your pocket. 
He became poor. He came down from heaven where your inheritance is. So that you can now have an inheritance in what? Heaven. So that you can become what? Rich. Think. How can in the same chapter where he said some Christians were extremely poor, he now says God came, became poor so that they can be rich. He's talking to the same people. Think. He said they were extremely poor. He now said Jesus died so that they can be rich. So does that mean those people are not Christians? When the apostles are talking about riches, when they are saying that somebody is rich, when Jesus is saying somebody that is rich, he's not talking about his pocket. It means that the person has supernatural inheritance in what? Heaven. That scripture is not a promise that everybody will be rich. That scripture is an affirmation that everyone, every child of God has an inheritance in heaven. That every child of God is seated with Christ in, in heaven, far above all principalities and powers. It means that Jesus died. He suffered sin so that you can reap what you could not get for yourself. He became poor so that you can become rich. Bow down your heads. We'll continue next Sunday. Pray. Let's pray. Church, I pray for you. I pray for you. There's an audacity that comes. There's an assurance that comes. A comfort that comes from knowing that God is with you. There's an audacity that comes from knowing that God is with you, that God will take care of you, that God is faithful, that God is committed to his word for your life, that if he has sent you to do something, he will surely back it up, that if he has sent you to do something, if he has sent you to do a work, he will provide all that is needed. There's an assurance and audacity that comes when you have absolute confidence that God will take care of me and therefore my, my, my conduct will, will be without covetousness. I will not worship money. I will not worship greed. I will not worship all those things because I know that God is with me. I pray for you that that kind of assurance and audacity that it will fill your heart in the name of Jesus. The things that have made you look down on yourself in this world, in this world, the things that the Satan can want to use to make you look down on yourself, that makes you forget that God is with you, and make you look at the way people are referring to you, and make you look down on yourself. I pray for you in the name of Jesus that that thing is at, a, is at, a, at an end in your life. In the name of Jesus, I pray for you that your confession will be like that of the writer of Hebrews. That you will tell the world, you will look at the world, you will look at the purpose of God for your life, and you will be able to stay through. You will tell yourself, What can man do to me? What can man do to me? What can anybody do to me? Because God is my shield and my buckler. That kind of audacity, that kind of faith, that kind of assurance, I pray for you that the Holy Spirit will give it to you in the name of Jesus. All your needs are met. All the things you need to do the purpose of God, they are supplied. You will not be destitute. You are not the needy. You are not the needy. You are not the destitute. But God at every point in time and in every way will send you what you need to do his will for your life. In the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.